Welcome to Career Kings, hosted by Chirag Tasker and Jason Spencer, the podcast dedicated to helping you start, accelerate, and dominate in your careers. Jason, what makes you so uniquely positioned that we should hire you into this executive marketing role? Well, Sharag, I understand that driving acquisition and enhancing loyalty continues to be the highest priority for you and the company. Accordingly, over the last several years, I've been positioning myself for this role by particularly honing my skills in those areas. In terms of acquisition marketing, I've had a successful career in not only creating and executing strategies to capture new business for a number of companies, but also in moving customers up what I like to call the brand escalator to drive incremental spending and capture full share wallet. As you notice right here on my resume, the results that I've had have been for a number of companies, most of them with similar makeup as yours, and I'm confident that I could repeat that success here. I've also had ample experience in similar success in loyalty marketing. I've managed the top tier of the largest loyalty program in the industry, and in doing so, reduced customer churn at an incredible rate. I've redesigned and successfully launched a large-scale loyalty program for a casino conglomerate, and recently led the efforts to launch a co-branded credit card, something I think will be perfect for you. I know the pillars of successful loyalty programs and look forward to working with your team on creating ubiquity, transparency, convenience, and value in your program. My depth of experience in loyalty and acquisition marketing is not only what I bring. My success expands across all levels of marketing and on the leadership side, my track record on motivating both large and small organizations is second to none. I believe all of these factors position me perfectly and uniquely for this role. Thanks, Jason. That was really good. I want to take the moment to talk about why I thought that was a really good answer and talk about maybe we can have a conversation about what were the opportunities to improve upon that. For one, I really like that you started the entire answer with what the employer wants. I think you said that you understand that acquisition marketing and enhancing their approach to loyalty marketing was really important to the company. It shows me that there's a common starting point for what you're trying to accomplish in the role. It shows me that you've maybe done some research on the company, whether it's primary or secondary. And so you're saying, I understand what's important to you. And that's a very important starting point. Even further, the best you can build the pain for the company, even if you take a third and say, I understand that getting your cost per acquisition down over the last seven years has been a pain point for your company based on the three people I've talked to or something like that. Any effort to build a pain before you say what you're gonna to do to enhance their environment is very, very valuable. But I really like that you started with what's in it for them. I also liked that you spoke in real terms. I mean, it was real talk. It wasn't a lot of industry jargon. There are some industry words that are important to the role, which were okay, but I feel like you were speaking in regular language, regular conversation, and I felt like it was very real, and so it came across as very genuine in terms of your experience and what you could do for the company. I also like that you referred to your resume, but didn't necessarily repeat the items in it. You kind of said essentially that what I'm telling you is evidenced by the accomplishments noted in my resume, but there's no need to waste time going through those items. So I thought that was a good use of evidence to support what you're saying about yourself. I also like that it wasn't just about the tactics about marketing and acquisition and retention marketing, but also about the need to be a good leader, acknowledging that being a strong leader in this role. And you essentially told me that inspiring, motivating employees you felt was as important as acquisition and loyalty marketing tactics. And that's uh, really valuable and means that you understand the breadth of the role and the kind of seniority of the role. 
And then most importantly, I really like, and this is very difficult to do, and I challenge any of our audience to figure out how to do this, but tell your essentially highlights in 120 seconds or so. And I think that's difficult to do, and, and a lot of folks have trouble doing this because in the absence of structure, people resort to just a dump of everything about their careers. And I'm sure you'd agree that you probably did an injustice to large parts of your career to focus this answer on what mattered for this role. And that's sometimes hard to do, to leave out some things about your career, but I think you did a good job of really focusing on the parts of your career that mattered for this answer. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why it's so important to frame it up in the beginning. I frame it up not only to build the pain, but it also helps me to guide my answer so it doesn't get out of control. My answer honed in on acquisition, loyalty marketing, and leadership. I could have spent days going through every item in my resume, but again, like you said, that kind of takes things off track. So you have to be disciplined enough to highlight without overdoing. Very good. Yeah, I agree. And if there's only some opportunities that we have to have critically look at your answer, I would say there's potentially a chance to take that what's in it for me in terms of the employer further. Every time you made a, a meaningful statement, you could more literally say, and this is why it should matter to you. I don't think it's 10 times during a two minute answer, but I don't think it's once or twice as you might have done. It's probably somewhere in the middle, three or four or five times, where you could have taken the extra step and say, after you said something important about your, your experience and your accomplishments, this is why it should matter to you in your function, in your industry, in this role that I'm applying for. Yep, that's extremely important to always bring it back to the role and to what the interviewer gets out of it. Again, I tried to do it here a couple of times, but there's always room for a couple more. So good point there. Great. So we'll continue to do that starting each podcast episode with a live interview question and have Jason or I answer that question and provide some feedback. And hopefully that's helpful for everyone. Now we're going to go on to the next section of the episode, which is the main topic for the day, and then continue on with the interview for today, which is going to be really great, as well as the quick fire section. And today's main topic is a really interesting one that will hopefully be valuable for everyone, and it's about resume design. And a lot of times, once you get a job, you don't look at your resume for a number of years, and then you're going back to it, so it's hard to remember what the key success factors are of our resume, or updating it with the last few years' experience can be painful. But today I want to go through Jason and I thoughts on how to design a quality resume and we're going to break it down by starting with the basics and then move along to more of the advanced type of things. We could probably sit here and talk for eight hours about uh, resume design uh, but we're going to try to just have an open honest conversation about what makes a good resume and what works what doesn't work and what we think everyone should focus on. Yeah and again you should couple these thoughts that we're going to give along with your own research. There's plenty of help out there whether it's career counseling offices, friends, the internet, to just get a lot of information on how to appropriately and effectively design resume. We'll go ahead and give you our thoughts and hopefully that puts you in a better position. Yeah, from a basics perspective, it, obviously I think it's important to choose a clean and simple template. There's a lot of templates out there. Choose one that's clean and simple. Don't forget that white space is really important. But most importantly, you wanna design with the ability for the reader to skim. And so you almost wanna give yourself a skimability score. Look at it and say, can an HR representative or hiring manager look at this resume and quickly look down the sides of the dates, look down the other side of the titles, quickly find the sections that are manifold. I mean, it's been well documented, but the average time per resume is like 
less than 20 seconds and you can quickly ascertain whether this person is someone you want to talk to or bring to the next round or whether you want to move through the stack of resumes. So skimmability is really, really important. You can maximize skimmability, if that's uh, even a word, by creatively using space on resumes, whether it's a column on the right-hand side to call out a couple of different things or what you're bolding and not bolding. Think of your total design in an effort to increase skimmability and to kind of match the industry that you're going with, all with maintaining professionalism. And hopefully this goes without saying, but it's important to have a professional sounding email address and one that's not the current company that you're at. Obviously, I see that from time to time, but I don't think you want to get a recruiter reaching out to you at your current company email address. And your cell phone and email address is the most important thing. I think more and more people are saying you don't even need a mailing address on a resume because I don't think a company really needs that information. But if you are, ideally, you would have an in-state mailing address for the company you're interviewing for or want to interview for. I think there's a pretty good argument for not even including an address on a resume anymore. Absolutely. To keep things concise and balanced, probably makes sense not to go with the address. And this is interesting, Jason. What do you think about what we used to see, that objective section that was often at the top of the resume? Uh, is it still necessary? Do you think it adds a lot of value? How can we make that section more valuable or should we even keep it anymore? I, I think the objective section actually has evolved into more of a, a statement section about yourself as opposed to you telling the job what you hope to do with an objective. We now see these statements that clearly list your advantages of being an employee at that company and what you could bring to the table and some of your skill sets that point out. And I kind of like that. I, I definitely think having a strong opening statement, if you will, to the resume, not nothing that's too long, but something that's short and impactful could really go a long way. And I think if you're tight on space, this is the first section you could consider removing. If you have the space, I think rather than an objective, which your objective is pretty obvious, you want a job, but something more, as you alluded to, a career summary and value proposition, short, succinct statement could probably go a long way. Especially if the role you're looking for may have some ambiguity to it, it helps to really narrow down and say, this is what I'm looking for and this is my value proposition. But that needs to be a short section. Exactly, and that, that statement can bring out some things that won't necessarily be articulated when you list your jobs and accomplishments. So think of how you could use that statement to articulate something that you're trying to. And also, Jason, I get this question a lot. Where should the educational section be? Early in my career, it was the first thing. Now it's almost the last thing. At what point in time does that change kind of happen? So we've talked about this a lot and we go back and forth. When you're talking about undergraduate education, the moment you get that real full-time job after you graduate, I start to move the education section down once you're applying for your next job. I'm assuming you'll be applying for your next job about two or three years later. So at that point, you will have that first full-time job with a good list of accomplishments, so on and so forth. So that education goes down. However, if after you graduate and it's been a year or two and you've had jobs but not really that first career and your education kind of still is the most prominent accomplishment, I would still leave it up there until you get some more time in, in that career under your belt. What are your thoughts? I agree with you. I think whether you're in school or just kind of feeling out your first full-time role, you may want to have that education up front. As a hiring manager, I do look to the educational section pretty quickly, but I can find it if I need to find it and it's below. But once you get deeper in your career, after your first full-time or second job, it's less relevant than your work experience. And you'll probably hear us talk about this as we go on through this conversation, but 
this interviewing and applying for jobs world is all about what have you done lately. And so as you get deep in your career, the education, your senior design project, those things just don't matter as much anymore as your last job. Yeah, and there are a couple of exceptions. Obviously, if you're doing some important research that is pertinent in the career that you're applying to and it's recent, that type of education definitely have toward the top. Yep. What are your thoughts on how long the resume should be? I've seen varying senior people still get their resume down to one page. And I've seen less senior people struggle to get it down. What are your thoughts on what the length should be? Well, I think the resume length should be one page until you have enough relevant and impactful information to make it two pages. I definitely don't think it should go longer than two pages, but in order to go on to that second page, an internship should not be causing you to go on to a second page. You know, it needs to be some very expansive career stuff. And that's where I see kind of around eight to 10 years after school in the workforce. We all remember the day we deleted our internships from our resumes. It was kind of painful because you're very proud of it. But there's a point in your career where it just doesn't matter anymore. And speaking of length and creatively using space, when you're looking at a specific job listing on your resume, how many bullet points or so do you think you should have under that? Like, um, you know, should you have more in the yeah. more recent ones or less? Or? I mean, I hate to put a hard number to it, but I'll say in the more recent job experiences, I would have more bullet points, probably give or take five, let's say, right? Four to six, three to five, something like that. And as I go deeper into job experiences that more in the distant past, I might have less, three to four, and as I go down my resume, two to three. So we just talked about the structure of the resume and how the look and feel should be, but let's move on to a little bit more of the advanced stuff, the actual meat of the resume and how you should describe each of your accomplishments and tasks. You want to just share some general insights and let's just have a conversation on the meat of the resume. Yeah, absolutely. I think, first off, I think about building the meat, the content of the resume, you got to remember what the purpose of the resume is. And this is tough sometimes. Remember that the purpose of the resume is to get the interview, not to get the job. And too often you see these resumes that have way too much information on it because they're trying to get the job. And when you have the wrong marketing material for the goal, you end up potentially not having success. And you need to figure out how to tell your story meaningful for the role you're applying to without simply dumping everything about you on a page. Yeah, so I'm hearing you need to be efficient. Right. And efficiency leads to effectiveness in in resume writing. Yep, and I think it's important to show the upward momentum of your roles. Not everybody, very few people in fact, have a very clean structured upward momentum of their career where you started as a junior analyst one, then you were promoted to analyst two, then you became a, a analyst manager, and then you were a director of management analyst, and then you just don't see that kind of very easy to understand upper momentum. So it's upon us as we write our resumes to show that kind of upper momentum. Whether it's in your job titles or it's in the content of your bullet points, you need to try to show that momentum. And I'm not suggesting by any means to fabricate their titles. However, I am saying that when you say your title, you can articulate what the role was and that should help give clear visibility into how your job and scope and complexity of your role increased as a function of time. Got it. You spoke about the the content of the bullet points. Let's dive in there for a little bit. And, And this is something that there's been a lot of talk about how to articulate 
your accomplishments, whether that be in a more storytelling type way on a bullet point, a truly just straight up quantifiable way where you're yeah. saying drove 33% yep. metrics or more qualitative. Which one of those approaches should you go after? Ultimately, I think balance is key. Sometimes I see resumes that have all financial benefits or all numbers because they've been taught to do that. Bullet point one, 33% decrease in operational efficiency. Bullet point two, $40 million improvement in EBITDA. Bullet point three, $20,000 cost savings on a new project. And it's almost too much numbers at you. And there's no way for me as a hiring manager or HR rep to really even validate those numbers. And so I think a more genuine resume has a balance of quantitative results. And even those quantitative results will be balanced with some of them are ROI driven, some of them are hard dollars, some of them are timing. Maybe you decrease the projects from eight weeks to two weeks or some of them may be some other type of metric, but vary the metrics. They should all be within context as well, explaining the context of that metrics because 20% or, or $40 million improvement, who knows what that means? Yeah, it may be a lot or may not be a lot. So it's important to say, drove $200,000 cost improvement on a $800,000 cost basis. That's a big deal. But someone might look at $200,000 cost improvement and say, I don't know if that's really meaningful. So context is really important to provide. I also think you should vary the bullets that it's not all financial results. Some of them should be your ability to show your leadership style, or maybe you created a mentorship program, or maybe you took a mentor to your wing. Maybe you enhanced the communication internally with your team. Maybe you enhanced the process to problem solve or ideate. Maybe there are times where you leverage analytics in the company in a way that wasn't used before or something of that nature, but you don't need to be all numbers, but a balance of different types to show the robustness of your capabilities. Got it. What are your thoughts on keywords, Jason. I think a lot of times you hear people say, dump a bunch of keywords on the page to make sure it gets picked up by the HR algorithm. How do you think people should think about what types of keywords, how many, what types to put on their resume? I think you should put words that are relevant to what you've done. Just dumping words in hopes of being picked up by a computer algorithm, I don't think is the best approach because it will get found out eventually whether it's the interview or not, if, if that made sense. So I think there, there are some buzzwords that are relevant to your accomplishment and to your industry. You should definitely put them in there, but I wouldn't overdo it by any stretch of the imagination. And I also think in the bullet points that you put under each experience, Select items that really matter for the role and for the industry and for the company you're applying for. Not everything you did in your last job is relevant, but you could probably pick the ones that are really, really meaningful and answer that what's in it for me type of answer to the hiring manager by choosing the ones that really matter. Yeah, you definitely want to customize a resume as much as possible where you can still be efficient and apply for a lot of jobs. But when the opportunity presents itself, definitely customize it to your point where it will stick out for that job or that industry. And the last thing I would, I would hint upon here is it's important that you don't tell someone you're a strong leader or a good communicator or a hard worker. You want to show that. So if you ever say something like, I'm a strong leader, you want to say almost literally as evidenced by this instance, this example, this accomplishment in this uh, job function. So it's important that you, you show the evidence that you are who you are versus saying that you are that person. I hope that was helpful. I know there's a lot of other things we can talk about in resume design. I encourage uh, anyone that wants to ask us more questions to email us at thecareerkings at gmail.com and or find us on Twitter or find us at Facebook at The Career Kings. And we're happy to answer some of those questions directly with you or include it on future podcasts. Yeah, share your stuff. Share your resumes to your friends and family, colleagues, get feedback. Send them to us. We'll certainly provide you some feedback and uh, can talk about it on the next podcast. As you know, each episode we bring in a guest interviewee, an industry expert, 
And today we're lucky to have Alok with us. Alok was a senior manager in Deloitte's M&A practice, left to become an executive search recruiter for the Koblenz Group, and he's also has a lot of work in the venture capital private equity space. So we're lucky to have him today. Alok, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. So especially given your role, Alok, with the executive search firm, I think it'd be really interesting in today's episode, which is all about resume design, to ask you a few key questions to get your perspective on, a, on a, how you look at resumes and how you look at candidates. So the first question we have for you is, can you tell us about your resume review process? How long does it take? What exactly are you looking for? Sure. So as you can probably imagine, that initial look, uh, the length of it depends on the level of the role, right? When you have a more junior role, you have a lot more resumes coming in. You got to be very efficient with your time. And as you guys refer to you know, earlier in the session, it's about 20 seconds, right? To, trying to right. pick out the key pieces and is this resume going into the pile to get a second look and review more or you know, does it go into the discard pile? As a role becomes more senior, you need to take more time to look at it because one, yes, it is lengthier, but two, they've probably conducted more complex activities that need to be looked at. And you're looking for as much of the quantitative aspects, you're looking for some artistic aspects of them being able to perform at that level. And I'll say my initial review of more senior roles that are in the C-suite or maybe one level lower, the initial review ends up being about one minute or so. And then off that one minute, deciding to put it in a second review pile or discard it, right? And then after doing that second review is when you know, I'm able to take more time to drive into full depth of each of the bullets and what really constitutes the individual I'm looking at on each resume. So in that 20-second look on the more junior resumes, 20 seconds is a pretty quick time. What call-outs do you look for to make that decision to put it in the refer back to pile or trash pile? Is it brand names of companies or metrics of what they've done? Like I'm just interested to know what a candidate could do to increase their chances within that 20 seconds. Sure. So I'll say brand names stand out, but it won't increase the chances because what really matters more is what was accomplished in each of those roles. So it's about metrics, but how they met those metrics. As you guys mentioned, if it's just pure financials, pure metrics all the way down, it doesn't really tell a story. And the question is, okay, that's great, but what did you do? And if it's just a lot of points like, oh, I did this, I did that, that's great, but what did that accomplish? And I think the beauty of, and what I've seen some mistakes is, People don't know how to put those together or they do all of one or all the other. What needs to be done is a combination of here's the metric I use or here's a metric that I accomplished and then this is the activity that I specifically did that led to that accomplishment. One other issue I see a lot of people doing is they just list responsibilities. And one phrase I like to keep using is, you know, that's great, but any monkey can have a responsibility doesn't mean you actually accomplish anything. Right. So that's something that people have to balance that, you know, people put pride like, oh, I was responsible for a five person team or was responsible for this project. That's fine. But as a recruiter conducting a search, leading a team without telling me what you accomplished adds no value. So it sounds like writing your responsibilities is showing what your expectations were. And you're trying to hear how did you exceed the expectations of the role? Exactly. Now, again, I'm not saying don't put responsibilities on there. It's a combination, it's an art that you have to use of 
here's the responsibilities, but here is the accomplishment I conducted with that responsibility. Got it. So what I'm hearing is the what is important, but what was the impact is more important, and the how is also quite important. Exactly. And actually, you hit the nail on the head. What was the impact? Every bullet should have an impact that's made. And people usually ask, well, what's an impact? How do you explain right. impact? And the way I categorize impact is usually in three ways. One is magnitude, second is scalability, and then third is complexity. Right? And what that means is magnitude is how big something was. That provides impact. Like it was $100 million on $500 million worth of spent is what I saved. That's impact, right? That shows size. And scalability, like I made this activity or made this change in this one part of the business. And now that same activity is about to be rolled out across the entire business, Got you. across the other 15 facilities, Got you. Or whatever it may be. Right, so that scalability, hey, so that one small thing, even though it may have been small, is having a large impact by being able to be rolled out across a larger space. And then complexity is about being able to show that you're managing a lot of moving parts, a lot of intricate parts that was very difficult to manage, and it took someone with finesse and intelligence to be able to maneuver that. Right? Gotcha. And an example of that would be leading a team across 14 business units. You have 14 business units, you have people that have different priorities and different incentives, but you're guiding them and moving them towards a single goal and able to accomplish that goal. Shows managing complexity. That's good information. It's a lot there. I was going to say, stylistically, how would someone show that on a resume or what helps you effectively review that resume from a stylistic standpoint to kind of bring that out quicker? Is it a bullet point with sub bullet points that show the results or is it like you're bolding stuff? How do you show that? Yeah. What you just said there on a resume. Great question. So the way I would say to show it is when I look at a bullet, I'm looking for the impact first. Anyone who's looking at a resume, again, with that first look, they're reading through the first five, maybe 10 words of a bullet. If you don't capture their attention, they're gonna skip the rest of the bullet and move on. So the key is to show the impact you made at the beginning of the bullet. Again, not every single bullet, but most of the bullets, you gotta show that impact you made at the beginning and be very particular about every word you use. Don't use a lot of filler words. Don't ramble on to tell the story, but being very concise and pinpoint what the result was and then what your part was in making that result. For an example, if we're talking about cost savings, uh, saved $100,000 from $500,000 spend by directly improving recycle attributes uh, XYZ facility. So that right there is impactful enough. It told me what was the impact you made and the size of that impact and then how you did it. Again, it's up to me as the interviewer then to come back to you and be like, well, tell me more. So it's about giving just enough information to peak interest. So they want to interview you. Yeah. Right. But without having to tell me the entire story. You're obviously looking at executive level roles, so there's some Mm -hmm. big numbers and big accomplishments in your examples. These ideas that you're presenting can be applied to any level candidate. So I want to make people think about how they apply these thoughts to where they are on their Exactly. Exactly. It could be something as simple as, I improved the process of how we file our documents in our office and it saved me five minutes every time I file a document and I file 
sure. 100 documents a day. Yeah. Right? That five minutes adds up, and then you multiply by the number of people in the office. It's it a scalability. Yeah. It's what are the biggest issues you see in resumes that prevent them kind of getting their own way of putting their material in, in the best light? The biggest issues it gets in their own way, not being clear or concise in how they're wording each and every bullet, where it becomes too much of a story without being very clear what that individual did in particular. Another issue I've seen quite a number of people doing, and it happens at all levels, is they, they talk about our team accomplished X, Y, Z. Now that's great that the team accomplished something, but what was your part in making that accomplishment right. happen? So what advice would you have for non-executive level candidates looking to create, update, or enhance their resumes to apply for jobs? What I would definitely say is don't do it in a silo by yourself, right? You want to create your resume, look through it initially by yourself, and go through each bullet, each word, and make sure that you're using each word for a specific reason. Take out the fluff. If you're restating the same thing, then take it out. Because you want every bullet point to share something new. Otherwise, you're wasting space. And then show it to somebody else and have them look at it and critique it. Does the bullet still make sense? Did you maybe by accident cut too much out? So it's that fine balance between being concise, but not too concise where the bullet doesn't make sense anymore. Great. Thank you. That was really valuable um, information. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me, guys. Okay, let's switch over to our next section, the quick fire question and answer. Jason, when is the right time for me to consider quitting my corporate job and trying entrepreneurship? I think when you've positioned yourself to do so, when you've taken the necessary steps to ensure that you have a better chance to succeed once you take that leap is the right time for you. And those necessary steps include first, truly researching and knowing what you want to do, putting the proper amount of time networking and, and meeting individuals in that area, saving the appropriate amount of money that you're not under crazy pressure to succeed in the first month, and all those type of little things. Once you've done that, the time is now, and that could be after one year or 10 years. It's, it's really after you've taken those steps. Got it. Shirag, what is a good question to ask an interviewer? I'm not sure it makes the most sense for me to list out a set of questions that I think are really good or ones I've used in the past, but I will say I think you should ask questions, but you should have real questions. I don't think it makes sense to ask questions to check a box just to say you ask questions, but I think you should really ask questions that in your heart of heart really matters to you. I can tell you based on my work experience and the companies I work for, I would have real questions that I really care about of a new potential employer and I would ask those questions. Now I would probably not ask questions that are tied to things that are really in it to me like financial compensation and things like that, especially not early on in the process, but I'd save that for later. But I would ask questions that really, really matter to me and avoid check a box type questions. Also, I would really avoid what I call aha questions, questions where you're really trying to just prove that you did your research or something like that and try to stick them with a tough question or stick them with a question that shows that you're smart and did some research. I don't think that's really beneficial for anybody. So think about what questions really matter to you and would really be valuable for you to get the answer to as you proceed in the process. Jason, should I send my resume out as a PDF or a Word document or does it matter? What's the benefits of each? I think you definitely want to send it out uh, via PDF. PDF is made in such a way where the structure of the resume is preserved and with Word documents there can be 
a number of issues that that pop up if they don't have a certain version of word and some boldings or italicizing or structure doesn't come out properly or the red squiggly line that shows up on the words it's not as polished as a pdf i definitely would send a pdf from my knowledge that doesn't interfere with any systems that hr might have that they run these resumes through uh Sherrod, what are your thoughts on cover letters if I'm being honest, I don't love them. I always felt like a well-done resume should tell a lot of the story. And I don't know that hiring managers or HR reps really look at your cover letter and your resume. I can tell you when I was hiring, I always found it a little bit redundant to get both and I really wanted to get to the resume to see what the person has done. However, they can be used effectively. And quite frankly, if they're required, you kind of have to have one. But it allows you to customize your message if you do it effectively. I think about it this way, the resume is kind of like the dots of your career path and the cover letter, if done properly, can be the point where you connect the dots and really tell your story. So I don't love them because I like to provide one piece of marketing material that's really effective and comprehensive, but I do realize that they can be required and I do believe that when they're done effectively, they can really tell a better narrative and connect the dots on your resume and explain why you're applying for the role and why you really want the role and you can speak in free language instead of the resume kind of structure. So I think they can be valuable, but I don't know how often they're really looked at. All right, let me end the quick fire section with a little bit more of a tougher question, Jason. What should I do if I don't agree with my performance review? Mm, Good question. Well, the first thing is not to be defensive. Set up a meeting with your boss with the goal of getting them to help you understand how you arrived at at that review. And again, do not be defensive, more take the, the tone of understanding. Once you understand where you landed at, you let your boss know what your expectation is going forward. You expect to get a higher review and this is how you're going to do it going forward and you want to have regular check-ins with them to make sure you're on the, the same pace. So the first thing is attack it going forward to make sure that you don't get that review again. And then if you're really just bent on after it was explained to you why you landed where you landed and you really are in disagreement. Uh, I think it's fair to, in this meeting, bring not so much documentation, but just have an idea and be able to articulate what goals and, and accomplishments you achieved against your objectives that warrants you a, a better review. And most bosses are reasonable and they'll listen to you and you guys could cordially work it out. And hopefully that works out in your favor. But the main point you want to get across is that whether that review changes right then in the moment, going forward, you expect to get a higher review. And once you put that expectation out there, that boss kind of takes a little bit more onus onto that to make sure that they really have to be on the same page with you before they give out a review. It's helpful. So we're going to end here with a question for Chirac. Chirac, tell me about your leadership approach. I'd be happy to answer that at the beginning of the next episode. Thanks for listening to Career Kings with hosts Chirag Tasker and Jason Spencer. Be sure to tune in to the next episode. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Career Kings and leave your questions, which we may answer in future recordings. Subscribe to our show where you normally get your podcasts or access them on soundcloud.com.